Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into a conversation with filmmaker Cody Clark about at least his last two films, now available on Amazon, uh, Mute Date and Bed, in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? What is this? It's been about 11 months, almost to the day, uh, since the last time I talked to uh, director, filmmaker, writer, etc., Cody Clark. Uh, we talked about his film, Ramekin, back in April of last year. And, uh, if you've checked out the website, I've done a couple of reviews for his films since then. Uh, if not, then uh, you can listen to us talk about them now. Uh, so, Cody Clark is here. Welcome. Good to be back, man. Yeah, great to have you back. It's uh, it's Ramekin, by the way. Ramekin. You know, it's, a, it's a common mistake. I prefer Ramekin. I think it's probably either, but um, <laughs> I prefer Ramekin. I'm sure I made the same mistake last time. <laughs> Okay, and every time it. just keep it keep it going just as tradition every time i come back <laughs> okay sounds good um yeah so it's been a while but we've kept in touch a bit on twitter and uh i was very pleased to get to watch mute date and bed um uh recently and write a review on those and, and kind of get a better idea of um you as a filmmaker and then in bed finally see you actually in front of the camera playing a role which was fun uh so but i i guess i don't know um what see i'm not not quite as prepared as i was last time (laughs) it's okay Here, okay, here, here's a thought I had. I, I was look. I pulled you up on IMDb. Wanted to open up the pages for your movies. There's a pretty wide gap between uh, Shredder and Ramekin. About seven years. I know. I'm sure you've do, you did work in the in between there. Um, and then you get to 2018. You did Ramekin. 2019. You've got Mute Date, Bed, and at least something else on the horizon in the DVD. What was that by design? Was that just kind of a confluence of of coincidence that turned out you you know would have these longer stretches without putting out as much at least feature length works, and then all of a sudden you've got two, three, four films, boom, 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 boom. Or was that just kind of you know you started working on one thing and it took so long to get it done that you started working on a second thing and so on and so on like that if that makes sense yeah it's um it's definitely it's one of those weird things where like somebody sees that on a filmography and they're like wait what what happened like was he like cryogenically frozen or something or (laughs) where was he for all those years that he was gone um and the truth is like i mean i from my end i feel like i was like working consistently it's just that like projects fall through um for various reasons that just you know that's that's just like it's it's a dice roll whenever you like embark on something um even if you've done it before um every project is is its own thing and is going to have its own um difficulties as far as getting it going and stuff and right after i did my first two films um shredder and rehearsals that was 2011 and 2012 that i released those um I was working on a project that was going to be my like kind of bigger indie film because it would have a producer attached and it would be um, something that would be made kind of through the Hollywood system a little bit, at least as far as like an indie film goes. It would have like um, some names in it. And there were like people that really wanted to do it. um, And that was like a crash course because that was like, several years of my life as far as like having a producer that I was working with on the project 
and putting it together and like it just going so so slowly and it just like it's it's a very different um way of making movies that than what i was used to and i was definitely game for it i just um when you try and make a movie in the way where like you get investors and you get producers and uh, name actors attached um things can go so ridiculously slowly um and that took up like many years of my life and the project ended up falling through um and you know it was like a thing of like once you like break the momentum that you had um it's hard to get back that momentum it takes a little while to get back into the um the mode of like cranking stuff out so it definitely took me a little while to get into a groove again and continue what I probably, you know, would have been doing had I not gotten into that like Hollywood quagmire um, and get back into like cranking out like a movie a year or whatever. And so like now, um, you know, I, I have a lot of momentum and I'm, I'm cranking out at least one movie every year, sometimes several. And I feel really good and I feel in my element and I'm, I'm kind of glad that it fell through like the Hollywood thing that I was project that I was going to be doing. Um, because I just think that life would have really graded on me and I much prefer, um, making films in the way that I'm making them currently. Yeah. Uh, as someone who's seen the ones you've made recently, I would say it's worked out pretty well. I've, enjoyed all of them for various reasons and um i'm looking forward to more thank you um so when we talked before as i mentioned i'd only really seen ramekin of the films you'd made and so i didn't have a big or at least i didn't have a wide idea of of the type of filmmaker you were as it was pretty much down to that one movie and so the next one that came out, or at least that I saw, was Mute Date, which is definitely, of the three I've seen, it feels the furthest from the other two, simply for the fact that it takes place outside, it's it's very open, it's, it's a lot more expansive than Bed or Ramekin are. Um, what, as, as someone, and, uh, you know, you, your, your style is very at least with the camera sedentary is, is, is translating that element to the outdoors more of a challenge, less of a challenge. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I think in a weird way, it gave me a bit more freedom as far as, um, shooting mute date because, um, the mute date scripts, like I, we shot in Prospect Park, um, which is a park that I know really well here in Brooklyn. Um, I've known that park my whole life, and so I had, I had little locations in mind to have scenes in, um, in the, when, I, when I was writing the script, and there's like descriptions in the script, etc. Um, but then, like on the day of a shoot, like. I would sometimes, maybe if the light wasn't right in a certain area, I would switch it to some adjacent location just because I knew that park so well and I knew all the little spots. Um, I could always find somewhere interesting to shoot. Um, and yeah, I shoot in a very fixed camera um, style. I like to just plop the camera down somewhere. Um, and I do cross cuts. I do two shots as well um, sometimes. But some of the scenes are just a fixed camera and maybe both people on screen at the same time. Um, but it, it offered me a freedom, you know, shooting in that way because sometimes I would find some little location where if I was doing like cross cuts or if I was doing a lot of different cuts, um, I'd be catching too many um, bystanders or people walking around. Um, but if I kind of just like plopped down in a certain spot, um, I had a little bit more freedom in a weird way. Like I could always find some corner of the outdoors to shoot in, which was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I'm shooting indoors, like sometimes my films can be 
a little bit agoraphobic by design. Um, when I when I have a story that takes place place primarily indoors, um, I've a, a pet peeve of mine has always been using the outdoors to show the passage of time. Um, you know, cutting to a sunset rising or like um, a busy city street or just like things like that to like show the passage of time where otherwise the movie is primarily indoors. Um, if I use the outdoors, I want the outdoors to be a location or a character, so to speak, like it is in Mute. Um, so yeah, it's like when I'm shooting primarily indoors for a film, um, I, I think of it like rhythmically a lot different than I'm, than when I'm shooting, you know, a, a primarily outdoors movie. I like the idea that like in, when it's indoors, you can lose track of time in a, in a different way than you can outdoors. Like when you're shooting outdoors, you're kind of beholden to what the, the sun is doing. Um, whereas when you're shooting indoors, um, it can seem like, uh, just an endless, um, night or an endless day or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's, I agree. You know, Ramekin's kind of main conceit being how confined, the protagonist is and, and sort of locked in with said ramekin and whereas then we we look at bed and bed while more definitively taking place during one day um it still does have that yeah we're not leaving this this mattress really at all <laughs> and that mm -hmm. is both a good bad and neutral thing depending on the circumstances the conversations and, and what's being done on it um yeah beds beds interesting visually in a very subtle way um that it's kind of it's kind of cut up into two halves like it's um at the first on the first half it's like natural light of like sunlight coming in so it has a different color to it and then the second half um it's more incandescent as it gets to nighttime so it's just like the yellowy um, incandescent bulb light for that second half. So it has like a cooler quality at the start and it has a warmer quality at the end. Um, and that was definitely by design. It was like a way to like cut it in half in a way and give it almost like a two act um, structure that I thought it needed. Um, and that those are the kind of things that I like to figure out visually when I'm shooting indoors it's like, what can I do to um, show a passage of time and show um, some sort of uh, chapter-like structure without having to rely on the, you know, the tropes of using the outdoors to show that? Yeah, they're, you know, thinking about it. You, there's, I guess, it's kind of the one of the moments that takes place in 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 the transition. Uh, between the two halves of bed, you know, the the boy and, and the man and the woman have a take a nap kind of in the middle of the day. And when they're waking up, they have to turn on lights, they have to, and like that sort of sets the mood a little bit. As they're waking up, it's dark because the sun's sort of going down. And when you, when they turn on the lights and we sort of get into that yellowish hue, we start the second half-ish of the movie uh, it also has that way of making things feel, I don't know, you know, thinking about a normal day for me, the stuff that happens in the second half is always a little more focused, a little more important a lot of the time. You're struggling to wake up in the morning, you're busy with like breakfast and lunch, maybe you go to work or maybe you don't. And then it's the evening where you're like, all right, now I'm going to do what I meant to do. Not that yeah. the characters are doing that, but I think like you and this and as the director in the film is are doing that. Like, okay, we got through, you know, A, B, and C in the first half, and now we're transitioning into what what is really at the crux of this relationship, kind of in the second half. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's very much like the the fact that it's like split down the middle of the film, kind of. Um, it's very much a part of the fact that it's a two character piece. Um, and so it's, it's almost a thing of like the first half belonging to one character 
thematically and the second half belong to another character thematically um mm-hmm. taking the reins so to speak either of them and um yeah it was just like it was a very situational thing but i love the um i love the fact that it's a it was a way to kind of show a pace to a day but within like an entire like confined small location like a bed um like you were saying like the thing of like the dynamic changing as a day goes on Mm -hmm. to have that all happen in a bed rather than like across an entire apartment or many locations or whatever it was like an interesting challenge writing wise because i had to reflect that in the dialogue and the tone and the performances um you know it's obviously you know we're shooting this movie and we shot it over the course of like 10 hours basically um so some of it was real some of the the fatigue or whatever was definitely real but yeah to get that on the page was really key to it um to get that vibe in the dialogue and so bad is uh you're you're in it for most of the movie you are one Mm -hmm. of the two central characters um so and and you know i've seen bunch of movies you know that have the star or co-star as the director a star is born last year fences denzel washington etc etc uh how how is that i don't know does that add more pressure on you i would assume it does kind of it's a whole nother role for you to take on amidst a bunch that you already do yeah it's you lose a lot but you also gain a lot in a weird way um because you lose a lot in that you can't just sit back and like watch the scene from behind the camera, which is very key to a lot of it is like, you're kind of using your eagle eyes and you're spotting things that need to be redone as far as like takes or whatever, or things like that. And so when you're, when you're in the scene and directing, um, you have somebody else that you're trusting to be looking out for the kind of things that you need them to look out for. Um, so that's a little weird cause you're used to just looking through the camera, but you gain a lot in that you can direct from within the scene. So like I could always constantly, well, not constantly, but I can always redirect if necessary, um, a line of dialogue or j- just something or whatever to get things back on track to where I want them to go. Um, and sometimes you'll be directing a scene where you're watching two people and, um, it, it's impossible for you to just get in there and like walk in as a character and like steer things. Um, and you wish you could almost, you know, in weird situations, but, um, yeah, I, I, I'm comfortable acting and directing because I think of it as directing from within the scene. Um, it's like a way to kind of ensure that the vibe, um, stays how I want it in a really cool way. It's not something I would always want to do. It's kind of like the project has to be right. And bed was the project that I wrote, not even intending to act in it per se. Like I, I had actors in mind, but they were both uh, SAG actors and they would have been able to work on the project because of that. And I had to do it non-union for specific, you know, boring, boring technical reasons. Um, but yeah, it's like, it just ended up being, me doing the character and um i think it you know it ended up being what it needed to be but like if i did it maybe as like a stage play or something like that um i don't know that i would want to um direct and act in it i would if it was like a play i would probably just want to direct it or something or even let somebody else you know just direct it and not even lift a finger just because it'd be interesting to see somebody else's take on the material um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoy, um, acting slash directing from within the scene. And I, I'm not, you know, not sure of, of the timeline with the other projects you worked on, but for, after making bed, do you, uh, you know, do you feel, you know, the next project you work on that you're not acting in if you've done it already or, or if it's on the horizon is it gonna do you feel like you'll end up in a situation where you'll kind of you know when you're when you're adjusting something when you're giving a direction 
Are you going to want to, you know, kind of step into the scene and like look at it from different angles now? Uh, or, or are you going to kind of be more ex- or kind of relish not being in the scene for that particular project? And I think, um, yeah, if I prefer one or the other, it's definitely, I would always prefer to not um, act per se. Like I would always just want to be behind the camera. It just feels like that's the place where I should be. Um, not to say that I'm like a bad actor or to say that I don't like acting. I love acting and I, I feel like I'm competent at it. But like, um, I don't know, I just, if I like close my eyes and like see myself as a director, it's it's from behind the camera rather than like in a movie or in the scene. Um, but like there's certain situations where like I know what a character needs to be um, and I know that I can pull it off in the way it needs to be pulled off. So like, um, like I, one of the scripts that I'm writing now, um, there's a tiny role in it that like, I know that I need to be the guy in the tiny role. Um, but yeah, I'm not writing any, I'm like writing a bunch of scripts right now for upcoming projects and I'm not writing anything where I'm like a, a main character in any sense. Um, there's some stuff like in the back of my mind, like ideas that I might do at some point where I would be more involved but right now and obviously this can change at the drop of of a hat if I get like a really cool new idea or something right now it's just you know giving other people time to shine which which I like to do because a lot of the people that um are main actors in my films it's people that I really dig and just want them to have some movie that they get to carry um so I like I like to be generous with my um, roles and with uh, acting opportunities that I give people and when I give it to myself I feel like I'm depriving somebody on some level of a of an opportunity I get that yeah uh, you know bed uh, your co-star Chloe Castiglione mm-hmm. saying that right uh, and then mute date you have Anthony Kapfer yep and Nina Tandalashvili Nailed it. Awesome. <laughs> All three of them. All the names, I'm good. Ding, 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 hat trick. <laughs> awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, the three of those three, uh, Mute Date and Bed, I, you know, are great, you know, and, you know, even going back to, to uh, Ramekin and if I pull it up, uh, L. Nope. <laughs> uh it's not ordered the right way um, i know jamie saunders yes jamie saunders yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i've you know been really impressed by all of their performances and um you know hoping to see them again and again and future things yeah absolutely i mean i love to i love to reuse people um there's certain people that i just like find and i just want to do everything with um so there's a lot of them like coming up in future projects for sure um but like at the same time it's like i try and like cycle it out where like maybe somebody minor in a particular film will have a more major role in another one like how anthony capfers and ramekin for like a split second (laughs) in the beginning of the movie and then like oh here we go next movie is like his movie you know yeah i like to do that where like minor characters step into larger roles here and there because it's just it's kind of cool for me to see that happen um in movies i like when i see that happen when i'm watching a movie i'll be like oh man he was that guy from that other one you know it's just fun for me that's nice that's good um so mute date a little more specific uh the plot of mute date is a blind date which we've seen many many times except it's in the future and our two quote-unquote subjects are testing uh, a new technology that allows them to communicate through thinking yeah through telepathy yeah yeah uh, and so they're told at the very beginning they have to go and, and stay within the confines of the park uh, and and just be there for I think three or four hours um, and you know go basically and so 
it's really interesting uh, angle for this, you know, a fairly familiar kind of uh, structure with a very interesting sci-fi twist to it. How did this idea originate the way it ended up? How, how, how did it progress from, from whatever the first kernel was, I guess, is the question. Well, the first kernel um, came to me many years ago when I just wanted to do a movie about um, my friend Anthony Kaffer, who I've known for um, like 10 years and I've always wanted to write something for. I always wanted to do a movie where it's just him on a date um, <laughs> with a girl, um, just because I like his energy for that kind of scenario. Um, it's just usually like people, you know, you close your eyes and you can see the kind of film that they would excel at per se. And that's something that I thought he would be really interesting at. Um, and the problem I kept running into is that the way that I wanted to shoot the film, it would have been very difficult for me to get good audio, um, like usable, uh, quality sounding dialogue and stuff like that. So it was a project that I never really cracked. It was like one of those things where like, Oh man, I wish I could like do that and write that. And that would be cool. But eh, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to be able to do it on the budget that I want to like get good audio. So that went on the back burner. And then one day I was like, I just had the idea of like, man, I wish, cause this was like after I'd done Ramekin where all the dialogue is, dubbed over in a throwback to like um mid 90s kids movies and goosebumps and all sorts of canadian productions or australian productions and things that get redubbed for american audiences and stuff like that for kids like i was just a throwback to that it was one of those like niche things that like only i would care about but like it was something that was very important for me to do with ramekin just for the vibe of it but like I had, I had a good experience with like getting the dialogue for Ramekin because in dubbing you can get really, really good quality audio. So I was like, ah oh man, I wish I could do like the date idea, but like with good quality like dubbed audio. And I couldn't figure out like how to do it. And then one day I was like, oh man, if it's like a thing where they're speaking telepathically, um, that would be really cool. And then, like, once I had that initial idea, it basically wrote itself. Like, it all just came pouring out, particularly because I was getting frustrated at the time with um, restrictions on Facebook and Twitter and the fact that, like, you can get banned for saying something and not know who reported you or why you're being banned or you can get banned for certain words that are taken out of context. Like, I was dealing with this thing where, like, a perfect example of what I was dealing with is that I made a, um, a status on Facebook about the band Queen. Um, I was just like, hey, you know, like, look at this, like, video or whatever, this Queen song or something. And um, it got, like, taken down, and I got banned for, like, three days because it said that I used a slur because it said that the word Queen can be used as a slur. So um, <laughs> I, I'm not making this up. This is totally true. I was banned for three days off Facebook for saying Queen, the band, you know, the name of the band in a fucking status. It was crazy, dude. There wasn't any curses in the status. There wasn't anything that would tip that off. But yeah, so like stuff like that was just happening to me and happening to friends of mine. And that definitely motivated um, the vibe of the the sci-fi you know that it would be about restrictions and it would be about like if you were speaking telepathically to somebody and it was a technology then that would be like this unprecedented amount of control that um a company would have over your mode of expression so it just kind of kept evolving from there and i kept going deeper into the rabbit hole mentally with the idea and, and that's it yeah uh it was that was kind of, you know, my my reactions while watching it. You know, the first third or so, it's very straightforward with the use of the technology. And then we hit a point and all of a sudden, you know, one character can't say anything because of one thing they said that was taken out of context. Or somebody gets, you know, sent an electronic pulse into their head or whatever. It hurts them for something they said or did or was being monitored 
and then all of a sudden they're being, you know, uh, sh uh, uh, confronted by ads and and you know pay for this or whatever. And it, it's, I remember my first reaction was like, that's insane. And then you like think about it for more than one second, and it's like, no, that's exactly what would happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly how it would go. Especially yeah. because I mean, at the time, I was reading a lot of books about like behavioral science and um persuasion and things of that nature i got really fascinated by like um you know robert cialdini um and daniel kahneman and a number of other writers who have written great books about um why we think and how we think and how that can be manipulated by um others and things of that nature and you know a lot of the stuff that they go through um it's very much in line with the kind of experiments that um, are done on people to see how they react to certain situations. So I wanted like a quality of the film to be that like you're never quite sure whether you're being gaslit or you're being like played in a way to see what your reaction is going to be to these uh, weird stimuli or if it's not an experiment. Like you're never really sure if you're being experimented on or or not because um, like when you get deep into like researching behavioral science and you get into like looking at weird experiments that scientists have done it can come off like very sadistic some of the experiments you read about like the stuff that people are put through like everybody's familiar with like the milgram experiment and um things of that nature like um where there's any of the ones where it's like there's people that are designated jailers and people that are designated prisoners and it's, it's all arbitrary and then they study how like they arbitrarily um, start falling into their roles and start doing things to each other that are um, that they wouldn't have done on the outside world and stuff. Anytime you start looking at these things, you, it starts reading like you're reading like a um, like a watered down saw movie or something like that. <laughs> Like it's crazy the the stuff that scientists put um, willing participants or rather barely willing human participants in. Um, so it's very the film is like it's a little weird, but it's like very much oddly in line with like like if you talk to like a behavioral scientist, they'd be like, oh yeah, that's that's pretty much par for the course. Um, mm -hmm. Even down to like the crazy ads that they subject people to to see what their reaction will be and how they can be influenced and stuff like that. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so the other thing, so if you, I, I'm assuming when you shot Ramekin that you dubbed all the audio in later, but when the scene was actually being shot, you know, they, you know, um, Saunders was actually talking as it was. Happening, yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. In mute date, you don't have that. Like they're, Anthony Kepfer and, and Nina Tendelashvili's voices, mouths are closed. They're not saying anything. It's just looking at each other and hand gestures. How mm -hmm. were you like, did you have somebody like yelling at them? What was going through their heads at that time? Were you just kind of letting them yeah, see, sort of channel what was happening? If I were going to give like a flippant, like foreign director answer, I would, and be all whimsical, I'd be like, they were truly communicating in that way or something like that. <laughs> but and I would just be all cagey about it. But yeah, the reality was, it was just me behind the camera yelling the lines as I read the okay. script at them, which probably looked pretty weird to um, a lot of the people that were walking by. But like, when you're making a movie and you just want to get a shot and like move on, like all, all caring about what other people think of what you're doing or, um, whatever goes out the window and you just want to get it down. Um, so I'm sure a lot of people watching us in the park probably thought we were doing some weird, like acting exercise or something. Cause it just made no sense. It's like, why is the director yelling the lines of dialogue and the people's names at the people? Like, and they're just kind of like looking at each other, like what's going on. Um, so yeah, they probably just thought it was some weird acting exercise we were doing. Um, but yeah, that was the most effective way that we could, figure as far as um having it be what it needed to be um and then later i would just kind of um 
you know, plug in the the dubs where they needed to be and find the rhythm in the scene. Um, and I, I had a lot of wiggle room because it's ostensibly in the film a new technology and something that people aren't fully comfortable with. So I had like a little bit of room as far as like creating a rhythm that wasn't strictly exactly like it would be how they were had they been actually uh, speaking from their mouths and stuff. Um, so it was, it was interesting, but like, I'm really happy with the the result because it definitely, it's one of those things that feels, at least to me, it feels very authentic to maybe what it would feel like um, to be thinking and hearing your voice and hearing somebody else's voice and it being uh, artificial, it not being like exactly like thinking, you know, and not being, um, something as part of your biology, but something um, akin to having like almost earbuds in your ear when there's no, and there's no earbuds in kind of thing. So, right. yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's interesting. So I'm guessing, so you said, you know, you had to kind of find the rhythm when you were doing the editing process and, and combining the visual and audio components uh, to kind of make a, make them flow and, feel close to real but you know you play with that little gray area um did you end up in that process having to you know cut things and and lines that you know did you end up uh, maybe maybe a better question would be um and maybe you can't even really know this necessarily but maybe there was was there necessary uh, ever a time where a line of dialogue or thought i guess that was supposed to correspond to a specific facial cue or, or reaction uh that it like ended up being edited to line up with a different one because it worked better or you know lines got cut or added in the post editing process yeah it was mostly um what happened was i was adding lines to just like little tiny um shots here and there where there hadn't even been dialogue before i just kind of liked the shot of like them in a particular spot or whatever like i was just like oh man i like that shot i bet i can stick like one or two lines when she turns her head or like he looks down at the ground like just things of that nature that could fit in um there were probably instances where like i cut a line here and there just because like that's par for the course when you're making a film but i would say no more or less than any you know typical film i'd say like 90 percent of it is like exactly accurate to the script and then 10% got a little bit tweaked or moved around or added to or whatever. Okay. Nice. Um, okay. Then, so I think, uh, with moving on to bed. All right. Um, you said it took you about 10 hours to shoot bed front to start start to finish and if i think anyone who has any kind of understanding of, of the filmmaking process understands that films are almost never shot in sequence unless that even in some cases when they're intended to be you know one single take like hitchcock's right. rope or something they're probably still not shot in sequence um, given, you know, given the kind of confined amount of time, uh, that, that it took to shoot this film and, uh, the nature of it being, okay, this is a single day. Uh, it might even behoove you to have like the later scenes take place later on to add to that weariness and, and potential frustration. Uh, was it like that? Was anything out of sequence? You know, did it help hinder work against you or with you to do it that way yeah there was a there was a couple things like early on that we did a little bit out of sequence um the first scene was definitely the first thing scene we shot but i think around the second third or fourth scenes there was some stuff we jumbled around just because we realized that it would go faster i can't remember the exact reasons why but we realized that like there would be less to set up or whatever if we um mm -hmm. 
if we did certain scenes in a row. I think actually now that I remember it, I think it was more along the lines of like um, blocking as far as like where people would be. And like if we were repeating um, a particular blocking, um, we would do those in order. We would like skip a scene and then go back kind of thing. Um, And, you know, that was interesting, but like, it more or less still always felt like we were doing it in order because we were maybe we'd do scene seven and then we'd go back and do scene six and then we'd just do eight, nine, ten or, you know, whatever it is. Um, we were never really kind of like all over the place. Um, it was mostly linear. And like okay. we were able to shoot it in 10 hours mostly because um, we had put nine months of um rehearsal and like we were as though we were doing like a play or something me and chloe castiglione we were rehearsing it like every week or two for a long long time while i was working on other projects and stuff and she was working on other projects um and i think the end result is you got two people that have been talking to each other and spending time with each other for that amount of time and um we found the rhythm and we found the natural vibe of like, if these two characters were truly in a relationship, how they'd speak to each other and how their, their vibe would be. It's very rare that you get to rehearse as long as, as we did. Um, so we were very lucky for that. Yeah. So man, nine months or so did, did the, um, dialogue and, and just way of speaking kind of evolve a little bit as you got a little more comfortable with each other in these roles? Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of it was like familiarity with the material. Um, mm-hmm. We were able to create moments that are in the film that weren't in the, uh, the novella or the, the screenplay. Um, and that felt authentic to the piece and feel um, indistinguishable from the rest of the piece vibe wise. And, in rehearsal we had that kind of like improv mentality of like we can do whatever we can say whatever and let's see what works and if it works then we'll just write it down and we'll remember to do it day of so there's a couple pieces like that like when she's calling up work and giving her sick voice that was a piece that came entirely from improv that we just really liked doing and repeating and so we ended up making sure we did that on set um so certain tiny things like that were um, came out from rehearsing. Awesome. And uh, then you you said you mentioned and and like I was aware of this that bed was originally maybe not originally originally but came from the novella you wrote of the same name. Uh, is that when you wrote that was that kind of something you ever you intended to eventually make into a movie it was uh, a screenplay first and then i ran into um just like i said issues as far as like logistics of getting it made and like making it and casting it and stuff and then i was like all right well i probably won't be able to make this for a little while so why don't i just transcribe it into like you know, a very bare bones kind of novella format. Um, Cause I've been, I'd been publishing self publishing books of mine, like novels and novellas and short stories and poetry books. And so it just seemed like it made sense. Cause I could see the story working as almost like a, a Salinger type, um, you know, short, you know, book or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I, I turned it into a novella and then, Ironically, we actually used the novella primarily during rehearsal as opposed to the screenplay, just because it was like a small book and like we could just kind of flip through it and um, just made it easy. And yeah, so like I never picked up the screenplay again as far as like rehearsing or anything like that. We were always just using the book. And then once we were off book, we were off book and we were just doing it from memory. Oh, wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> um, oh, man. Uh, so bed is to give it a little bit of a synopsis, outside of just spending the day in bed together. It is a work day for uh, Chloe's character, and you, as the boyfriend, basically 
half guilt her, <laughs> half uh, convince her into spending the day in bed with you, um, and and uh, <laughs> playing on her sunburn and and so and many and you know the romantic nature of the situation. A very and, real sunburn, by the way. I mean, oh yeah, it, yeah. it looked real. <laughs> it was, Did she have to get that? Was that, <laughs> or was that just a coincidence? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sadistic in that way. No, it was um, <laughs> it, it was it was one of those things where like she had a sunburn, and we had the uh, the shooting space, and we had to shoot on a certain day, and um, it just we were like, all right, let's just write it into the script. I mean, not the, in our minds, you know, write it mm-hmm. into the script. It, we didn't put pen to paper at all. We were just like, we'll mention the sunburn. You'll just, we'll work with it just because, you know, life gives you lemons or whatever. You make lemonade. Um, and I feel like it added something to it in a weird way to have um, like a real physical injury. Like it's just there in the film. Um, it's It's rare that you watch a movie and you're seeing an actual injury. Because um, it was a really bad sunburn, as you can see in the film. Um, it's all down her arm, and it's all across the back of the the upper part of her back, and it was actually pretty painful for her. Yeah, it it, it definitely came across. You know, it, it worked within the confines of the story, and like it was just just below like what would be a a, a reasonable excuse to not go into work. Yeah, that, exactly. That if you if you argue it enough and you poke at it enough, you're like, "All right, fine." <laughs> totally. And I think that works really well. Yeah, it was uh, a it was a weird blessing in the skies. I mean, I'm sure it sucked for her, but mm-hmm. I think she appreciated that like she wasn't ruining anything by having it and that like it actually mm-hmm. added something to it. Did you consider uh, I don't know postponing or, or covering it up in some way we really didn't have any time to postpone um we had the location for one day and mm-hmm. she was moving to la like pretty soon after that um she's there now she's she's doing films out there um and as far as covering it up it just seemed like you know why if, if this is what we're being given by the universe like let's just take advantage of it like i would always rather incorporate something like that rather than um try and hide it um just because it it, there's always something to be had there particularly with the the freedom of it being a um a film where we don't have to worry about continuity you know it's not like she has sunburn in one scene and then the next scene we shoot x amount of days later and like we don't see you know because we weren't worried about continuity um it was like well it's not it's not a problem it's a blessing it's a weird cool thing that we'll always remember about the film yeah yeah uh right so so chloe's character calls off work and the rest is just you know the two of you making the most out of a day in bed and i love how uh, you know everyone has either done this or fantasized about doing this in some way. And I think anyone who's actually done it knows that like what you think is going to be this amazing bliss day doesn't always end up exactly the right way. You know, you, you know, sometimes you'll just sleep through half of the day and then like, it's almost like, what was the point of this or everything you do if you're spending the day in bed that asks you to get out of bed is like oh the worst and like such a hassle and i think the movie does a good job of showing uh both sides of that you know you really do get oh man it's really great during you know x y and z moment and then oh no it's uh, there's problems in you know this this and this moment and they kind of you know run parallel to each other until Eventually, you have to, you know, pick a side as to whether or not this day, event, moment is going to be a good one or a bad one, depending on how it ends. And it's a very interesting path and and narrative to get to that sort of climactic point. Yeah, um, I definitely like movies that are about putting somebody in a situation and it not being 
what they expect. Um, and this is definitely an example of that where like they have this idea and they probably have two separate ideas of what the day will entail. And it's about those kind of clashing. And then both of them also kind of just realizing that, you know, both of their ideas were a little bit incorrect as to how it would actually transpire. And, um, you know, it bring that, that uncomfortability bringing out things to the surface that wouldn't have come out otherwise. Um, it's definitely, you know, that's so many, uh, one act plays that's so many, um, plays in particular, you know, putting characters in that sort of confined, um, moment where all this stuff just started, sort of explodes out of them in ways that they didn't expect. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's, when you're a writer, that's like really fun stuff to write. That's just like the kind of stuff that, you know, wets a, a writer's beak, so to speak. That's why so many plays are essentially that. And this was my spin on that kind of familiar um, structure, so to speak, because um, it had never really been done in, in this particular way or, or with these specific themes or whatever. Um, so I definitely had fun with that aspect and, I, it's also interesting because like people forget that like most of what they desire is metaphoric rather than literal. You know, it's um, when you say like, oh man, I wish I could spend the whole day in bed. You really mean like, oh man, I wish I could spend like another couple hours in bed. You know, <laughs> it's, right, it's right. not, you don't literally want, you don't literally want to eat the entire like sleeve of Oreos. You, cause if you did that, you'd, feel sick you want like truly you want like a couple more oreos or you want like maybe a little bit more ice cream you don't want a whole other container or the whole container or whatever but we think in these very like hyperbolic um ways where it's like oh man i could i could eat a horse or whatever you know people are always constantly um overdoing what they think they want um so this was definitely an example of that where like when you want to spend a whole day in bed together, you're not thinking about that confinement and you're not thinking about it almost as like this locked room sort of scenario or this, um, you know, two people stuck somewhere stranded somewhere kind of scenario. Yeah. You know, it, it I, it's interesting cause my, not where I live now, but the previous apartment I lived in, uh, my room was just computer desk, chair for the computer desk, couple pieces of furniture and boxes, and then just a bed. And so like, if I wasn't at my computer, I was in my bed. And my girlfriend at the time, uh, when I was at my computer, she was still in the bed if she was there. And so like, I was like, man, I have been in a lot of these situations before <laughs> I could draw a lot of connections to like sitting in bed, playing cards, sitting in bed, eating food, sitting in bed, watching a thing or reading a thing or, you know, having, you know, the meaningful conversations or the meaningless conversations in bed. Um, and what, so I guess like I could really connect to that. Is that, when you when you originally wrote it you know was this coming from any kind of experience or was it kind of transposing something or an idea even into a situation that made it that elevated it dramatically um well i mean the the common assumption when like a, a writer or a director is also in a film or acting in it is always that like it's semi-autobiographical or they're playing themselves um with bed it was a it was a thing that i never really intended at all to perform um it was always you know the character was always kind of a mishmash of um male friends of mine um just certain cadence things and certain turns of phrase and vibe and stuff like that it never was really a reflection of me um and so i kind of had to become that in a weird way, which is like, I never want to deny my own, um, 
idiosyncrasies or like turns of phrase or manner of speaking. So like some of that is preserved um, mm-hmm. just cause I would, I wouldn't want it to be artificial, but it, yeah, it was definitely, it's not really a reflection of me. It's more like an idea of like putting two particular personalities that I've encountered um, into a particular scenario and seeing what it would be like if they spoke and hung out and like running a simulation of like, <laughs> vibes that you know um like there's definitely a lot more of myself in the um the female character in the film than than people would realize probably um i i find myself relating to her a lot more than people would probably assume that i do and um you know i think she's a very relatable character i think most people relate to her on some level but I, th- I don't think people would assume the amount that I relate to her. But then if they think about it, it's like, oh, I, I wrote her. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I probably do relate to her. Um, sure. But it's it's kind of like an optical illusion because you're looking at me arguing, you know, with that person. And it's easy to forget that, like, this guy that's arguing with her has given her all the best arguments and all the, you know, <laughs> things of that nature. Um and also, like I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a huge wrestling fan. I love pro wrestling, and um, I definitely, you know, for for people listening who are wrestling fans, there's definitely a face slash heel dynamic to the film, and that like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of putting her over, you know, I'm putting her over with the audience. Um, I know my role. I know that she's the the star, so to speak, and it's kind of my job to get the crowd cheering for her as in my capacity as a heel, but also not be a one dimensional person and not be a, um, uh, an unrealistic opposition to her. Um, and also not for her to be unrealistic or one dimensional at all, but for her to feel real. Um, so yeah, it's like, that's really my goal with the piece was like you know i don't care about people saying like oh man you were so good acting in that i want people to be like oh man she is fucking incredible you know like that's that's what i want to hear because just because like i don't need the i don't need the accolades i don't need the whatever um because acting isn't acting isn't the thing that like i'm and it's not that I'm not proud of my acting in it. It's just that it's, I'm proud of everything that I did in the film and that, and acting is like one tiny piece of that, you know, directing sure. is primarily it. Editing is somewhat it. Uh, writing is obviously a large part of it. Um, so I'm not looking for acting, uh, praise necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. No, she's, um, Chloe is great. Uh, I think you describe it really well uh, from a wrestling perspective. I hadn't really thought of it that way as not really being a wrestling fan, but I get it from that. Though, though that description makes a lot of sense, having giving it more contextual uh, understanding. Definitely. <sighs> awesome. Um, great. So bed, mute date. Um, you you had mentioned before uh, these are now both available to be seen by everyone. Yeah, they're both on Amazon Prime currently. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody with a Prime subscription can watch them for free. If you don't have a Prime subscription, they're like a couple bucks. Um, they're not too expensive or anything like that. You can rent them. Um, and more more of my films are going up on there pretty soon. Um, oh, great! So people should look out for those as well and. I have a new film that I just completed that um, I'm going to be putting out soon called the DVD, which is a really weird, interesting, um, you know, it's, there's been a lot of found footage films, but this is like the first, what I would call a found object film where instead of watching a movie, you're kind of exploring um, a DVD that's been made by fictional characters. And so you're watching the bonus features, you're watching the film they made, and you're getting a sense of them and, and who they are and um, that sort of thing. So is it, that's that's a really exciting thing, yeah. Uh, so exploring a DVD interactively? 
Yeah, I mean, primarily, so you, yeah, you that's... direct what you see in sequence that you want to see it? Yeah, you, you choose if you want to watch the commentary or if you want to watch uh, the behind-the-scenes footage or whatever. You know, you're, you're just kind of browsing a DVD like you would any film that you watch, except for the fact that the, the film is fictional, the people aren't real, etc. It's, you know, I made it. It's just that all of the characters... Um, it's as though they made it, um, if that makes any sense. But there's going to be two versions of it. One's going to be the interactive version, which will be coming out first, which will just be a DVD that you can buy on Amazon and go through it. And my name isn't on the DVD at all whatsoever. It's all, when you go on Amazon, it's just all fictional people as the people that made it, etc. My name isn't anywhere near the DVD. It's not like if you look in the fine print, it says Cody or anything like that. Nothing whatsoever. Um, huh. It's just a completely fake thing that will be existing in the world for people to interact with and either know or not know that I'm attached to it. And then there's going to be a second version, which will be on Amazon Prime, which will simulate... Um, going through on a DVD and looking through the menus, um, et cetera, except it'll be more like a feature film you're watching. So oh. you'll be watching somebody navigate through the menus for you. But for me, the preferred experience is just navigating the DVD on your own um, sure. and looking through it that way. But I know that most people um, you know, may not have access to a DVD player regularly uh, or want to you know, plop down a purchase price for a DVD just to try something that may be a good movie, maybe not. Who knows? Like, you know, they don't know what to expect because it's so different than what people are used to. Um, so I have that. I'm going to have that prime version available as well. Yeah, especially if the interactive version, they can't look up who's in it and see if they've done other things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's um, it's going to be really interesting because... It's it like I said, it hasn't been done before. That that level of commitment to um, to use another wrestling term, kayfabe, um, that level of commitment to like not breaking character. Um, I don't think it's ever really been done as far as like found footage stuff, where like something is truly released that's entirely f f fraudulent, fictional, whatever. You know? Um, yeah. 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 I like it. I'm interested. Cool, man. I'll I'll send you a attention. copy. Awesome. Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, awesome. So, uh, Mute Date, Bed, uh, you mentioned other movie, other stuff coming out on Amazon. Uh, I assume you meant moving forward, future stuff, future well, projects. But Ramekin does that also apply backward? Yeah. Ramekin isn't up there yet um, just because of um, getting it ready and, like, weird complications. But, like, it'll be up there in the next couple months um and my earlier films shredder and rehearsals i've already sent them to amazon so they should be up there anytime soon great perfect everything yep. in one convenient location absolutely love it uh awesome so definitely if you haven't taken the time to check out any of these uh or you've seen one or some of them and and had a good experience check out the rest i enjoyed all three that i've seen so far and uh, look forward to the dvd coming soon all right enjoy man always good to talk yeah. to you yeah you too really appreciate it um it's a lot of fun all right i want to thank cody clark one more time uh for coming on the show and talking about his movies with me uh, you can find him on twitter at cody clark um if you check the show notes of today's episode, I will attach links to both trailers and Amazon uh, sites for his movies that are on there right now. Uh, you can also find reviews I wrote for Mute Date, Bed, and Ramekin uh, on circleoffilm.com. If you'd like to find more episodes, including the previous episode I did with Cody Clark, you can Find that on the website as well as most places where podcasts can be found, including iTunes. Uh, if you find your way onto iTunes, uh, please rate, review, subscribe, um, like it, whatever you can uh, to support the show. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can do that on patreon.com slash circle of film uh, for as little as eight cents an episode. 
If you want to find me, follow me. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Circle of Film, Letterboxd at Circle of Film, or shoot me an email, circleoffilm at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same good night. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same adieu. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. So long, farewell, oh, I'll be the same. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.